Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Gundog by Gary Witta Chapter 23 They made their way across the blasted forecourt of what was once a place that sold cars, moving between the rusted hulks of burned-out vehicles for cover. Just two more shadows in a moonlit landscape of countless others. In the distance up ahead was the dark, geometrically perfect silhouette of the Mech Fortress city. And yet, their visors showed no sign of any patrols. It was eerie, to be this close to such a major concentration of mech, but to detect no sign of them. It was only as they drew closer that their threat displays lit up with multiple moving sensor blooms, and these were all on the far side of the twenty-meter-tall perimeter wall that loomed ahead of them. Dakota looked back in the direction from which they had come. Although night had fallen, the sky was clear and the moon bright and she could just make out the dark shape of the tree-lined hillside the Liberator crouched behind. She hoped it was sufficiently well hidden, for Rosie's sake. As she was unable to control the Liberator herself, she was as exposed as they were. If a mech patrol were to stumble across the gundog while its pilot and gunner were away, the Liberator, and Rosie with it, would be sitting ducks. She and Runyon stopped briefly when they moved beneath the collapsed remnants of a freeway overpass. This was the last piece of cover they would have before they reached the mech perimeter. They had to cross only about a hundred more meters, but it was across open ground starkly lit by the light of the moon, and though their visors showed no sign of any mech this side of the wall, Dakota was uneasy all the same. "'What are you waiting for?' came Rosie's voice in their earpieces. You're clear. Go. Dakota and Runyon exchanged an uncertain look. They both knew what was giving them pause, the feeling that they'd been here before. Their memories of their escapes from the township were flooding back now, a similar hundred-meter dash across open, brightly lit terrain toward a towering perimeter. But while what had lain on the far side of the township fence was the promise of freedom, now they were running in the opposite direction right into the mech's fortified lair. It was the most dangerous thing they had ever done, and both of them had barely seen a day that didn't bring some kind of danger or another. I said, what are you waiting- Nothing, said Dakota, cutting Rosie off. We're fine. We're ready. She looked to Runyon for confirmation that she was speaking for both of them, and received an affirmative, if wary, nod. The two of them broke from cover and dashed across the rubble-strewn ground. Twenty seconds later they were in the shadow of the perimeter wall, their backs pressed against it, breathing hard from both exertion and adrenaline. Taken by a moment of curiosity, Dakota slipped off her right glove 
and placed her bare hand against the wall's smooth, plain surface. It felt cold as ice, though the night was relatively warm. From a distance, she'd assumed the wall was made of stone or metal, but on close inspection, it appeared to be neither, but rather some alien material that Dakota had never seen before. There's a mech patrolling the far side of the wall, but it's pathing away from you, Rosie said. Two minutes before it's back your way. Set the package and go now. Dakota flexed her fingers to fill out her glove as she pulled it back on. She took a small electronic device, the size of a deck of cards, from a pocket on her belt and placed it on the wall at eye level. It slid right down the smooth surface, and she caught it in her other hand. What's the holdup? said Rosie. The wall isn't metal, Dakota replied. The magnet won't stick. Improvise, Rosie responded. Ninety seconds. What Dakota wouldn't give right now for a roll of duct tape, she thought. When first sorting through the Liberator's equipment store back at the hangar, she joked about the lack of duct tape, which during her time as a township maintenance worker, she'd come to swear by as the single most indispensable item in any toolbox. The joke didn't seem so funny now. Runyon reached out. Here. Let me. Dakota gave him the device. He worked his jaw energetically and then took something from his mouth. She quickly realized what he was doing. In their ration kits, along with the vacuum-sealed bags of freeze-dried beef stew and blueberry cobbler, had been sticks of something called chewing gum. Dakota had tried some and spat it out quickly. It felt like soft, tacky, flavorless rubber. But Runyon had taken to it eagerly, happily accepting Dakota's unwanted sticks and adding them to his own supply. Since they left the hangar, he'd been chewing on it almost constantly. It was a way, it seemed, for him to calm his nerves. But now the gum had a new purpose. He broke the sticky mass into two pieces, stuck them to diagonally opposite corners of the device, and pressed it hard against the mech wall. It stuck. For now, at least. Sixty seconds, said Rosie. Dakota looked up. The wall seemed impossibly tall from here, monolithic as a single moonlit cloud drifted above. But Rosie had assured them it was traversable with the equipment they were carrying. Dakota detached a device from her belt, held it by its pistol-like grip, and fired it upward. The grapple shot out with a silent puff of compressed gas, trailing a wire behind it as it scaled the wall and attached itself to the top. Dakota gave it a tug, and it held. Runyon did the same with his own grapple gun, and with a shared nod and a countdown from three, they held the grips with both hands and squeezed the triggers. Suddenly the ground was falling away beneath them as they ascended the wall at speed. Dakota kept her eyes on Runyon the whole ride up. He'd shown bravery and strength up to now, but she didn't know what he was really capable of physically under stress. Besides which, he'd fallen once when they'd practiced with the grapple guns on a wall back at the Liberator hangar. But this time, they both made it safely to the top, and Dakota remembered Rosie's advice not to look down as they scrambled over and used the same grappling wires to lower themselves to the ground on the other side. At the push of a button, the grapples detached and the wires retracted. Then they tucked the devices back into their belts, though if all went as planned, they wouldn't be needed again. 
they took a quick moment to survey the interior of the mech city. They were on the edge of an open plaza of sorts, beyond which lay a dense cluster of buildings with starkly angular uniform geometry. Beyond those lay more of the same, ascending in scale as they approached the center of the vast complex. It was like looking at a massive computer-generated mountain, utterly devoid of warmth, creativity, style, flair. Something only a machine could, or would, make. Architecture by algorithm. It immediately struck Dakota as the most lifeless place she'd ever seen, even more than the empty ruins of the human cities. Those long-abandoned towns had always seemed haunted to her, but at least a haunting implied there had once been life there. Here there was nothing, no indication of anything resembling life as she knew it. The sprawling, machine-made ziggurat gave Dakota a shudder like nothing she had ever known. The entire mech home planet must be like this, she thought. A never-ending landscape of inert, geometrically perfect lifelessness. Patrols headed back your way. Follow your nav guidance and get out of there, said Rosie. In her visor, Dakota saw the red sensor dot moving toward their position, and the snaking directional arrow pointing them in the direction Rosie now wanted them to go. She had tried to make their task as easy as possible. So long as they followed the holographic path laid out for them, they had nothing to worry about, other than getting captured or killed. A few thin clouds drifted over the moon as if even its light was unwelcome in this dead place. A bit of good fortune there. Darkness was an old friend to Dakota from her years hiding from the mech. Perhaps this was their little bit of luck, as Mom had said. They started moving, staying low and quiet. The directional arrow in their visor displays updated and extended to stay ahead of them, always pointing the way. Hold up! Find cover now! It was Rosie barking in their ears, and it brought them both to a dead stop. Only then did Dakota see the new sensor dot in her visor. Another mech was approaching from the northeast. They were next to some kind of obelisk-like structure, not much larger than them. Its purpose was unknown, but it would serve as cover. They ducked behind it and hid there, unmoving, as the sensor dot moved closer, close enough that they could hear the mech itself the low hum of its motorized body. They waited, hidden in shadow, paralyzed, relying on the stealth tech in their suits to thwart the mech's sensors. If it was anything less than Rosie had promised, they'd be discovered. The mech unit came to within six feet of them and seemed to pause there for a moment, although Dakota would later tell herself it had just been her imagination. In that moment, she held her breath her hand, inching toward the sidearm holstered on her belt. But then it was moving past them, and away, along its assigned path. It hadn't seen them. They both exhaled. Dakota was able to see the mech as it moved away. It was a kind she hadn't encountered before. It levitated on an anti-grav mechanism, as most mech did. But aside from that, she recognized almost nothing about it. It was sleek and thin, with no armored plating or discernible weaponry. If the mech did differentiate between military and civilian, this was undoubtedly one of the latter, or at least a non-combat model. 
still. It would be connected to the mech network the same as any other, and could easily alert other units, ones far more dangerous. Quiet on the way in, noisy on the way out, was how Rosie had described this operation. But if things got noisy before they were supposed to, this mission would go south in a hurry. They kept moving, following Rosie's navigation markers, staying alert for signs of danger, using whatever cover they could find. There were some other mech roaming in the vicinity, but not nearly as many as Dakota had expected. Overall, it was strangely quiet here. Perhaps Rosie had been right when she'd said that the mech had grown complacent in the post-war years. Still, it made Dakota uneasy. Over the past two days, she'd learned she much preferred a straight fight to sneaking around. She found herself anxious for the noisy part, the part that would come after they'd taken what they were here for. That structure, right ahead, said Rosie, and in their visors, one of the many uniform slate-gray slabs that formed the base of the Mech Mega Pyramid was augmented by a holographic overlay, illuminating it for easy identification. Dakota and Runyon followed their designated path to the exterior of the marked edifice, where they hugged the wall. A few meters away, a wide, open archway led inside. Easy part's over. This is where it gets tricky, said Rosie. Sidearms. Safety's off. Dakota and Runyon both drew their weapons and thumbed the safety catches into the live position as they'd been taught. You're gonna find mech inside for sure, and it only takes a millisecond for them to raise the alarm once they see you, so don't hesitate to shoot if you think you're gonna get spotted, Rosie said. Then keep moving. Once a mech goes off the grid, they'll send more to see what happened to it. The good news is, the target point's close. Less than two minutes if we're lucky. And if we're unlucky? Dakota wondered aloud. Then it'll take longer. Proceed inside. Dakota looked at Runyon. You ready? She whispered. Not really, he said honestly. That made her smile. Me neither. Let's go. Still following the directional arrow in their visors, they crept along the wall and stepped through the archway. It was even darker within the building than it was outside, and the low-light filter in their visors kicked in automatically, bathing everything in an eerie greenish glow that made the mech structure look even more artificial and otherworldly than it already did. The holographic arrow led them down a spacious, uniform corridor, and as they walked, Dakota realized that there was no ceiling, precisely, just a point above them where two sloped walls on either side of them met. Yet another manifestation of the mech's affinity for triangular architecture. They turned one corner, and then another, then halted at the sound of Rosie's voice. Close contact! Find cover, fast! Dakota had seen it at the same moment a sensor blip coming their way from a hallway that intersected with their own up ahead. Hurriedly, they looked for some place to hide. But there was nothing. Only the dark, smooth, featureless walls. They were in a long, bare tunnel. Even hugging the wall would be a challenge, as they sloped inward. There's nowhere, Dakota whispered into her mic. We're totally exposed here. 
then just stay calm and stay still. It may go right by and not see you, said Rosie. That seemed to Dakota to be wildly optimistic, but there was nothing else to do. So they froze in place, watching helplessly as the mech sensor blip moved closer to the intersection ahead. It was a T-junction, their own hallway ending as it met the intersecting one. With a little luck, the mech wouldn't turn toward them and would just go straight by. A little luck, Dakota thought. Please, please don't turn. The mech appeared before them in the intersection up ahead and turned. It was moving directly toward them now, a mere hundred meters away. And this, too, was an unfamiliar model. It didn't levitate above the floor, but ambled along on three legs, a gangly, awkward tripod. It looked harmless, a non-combat model, perhaps a maintenance or service unit of some kind. But it wasn't harmless, because it wasn't blind. It saw them, and stopped fifty meters from where they stood, seemingly confused, unsure of what to make of them. Whatever monotonous routine it was that it performed here every day, encountering humans evidently wasn't a normal part of it. Shit, thought Dakota, suddenly aware that she too had been momentarily stymied by this encounter, long enough perhaps to give it time to sound an alarm. She snapped out of it, her hand reaching for the sidearm on her... The mech unit exploded, violently ripped apart by a volley of energy bolts. What remained of it staggering forward on its three legs before crashing to the floor, a twitching, sparking wreck. Dakota turned to see Runyon with his own sidearm gripped tightly in both hands, still trained on the dead mech. Good shooting, Dakota said. Thanks, said Runyon, who seemed as surprised to have beaten Dakota to the trigger as she was. No. He was surprised about something else, Dakota realized. Surprised to have stood up to a mech. After a lifetime spent fearing them, running and hiding from them, he'd finally stood his ground, fought back, and killed one up close. Dakota knew what that felt like. She raised a hand and placed it over Runyon's, gently easing his weapon back down. You just killed your first mech, she said. Yeah, he replied, still taking that in. If you don't get moving, it'll be your last, said Rosie. Others will come to check on it. Move your asses! They ran. Command Unit Report, Unit Rank, War Commander, First Class, Designation, Mech, 39487651287423. Filed 13891747, MKST 5363.192. This unit completes field repairs to damaged systems following dispatch of maintenance support units to blast site. Replacement strike team currently unavailable. Master Algorithm commands this unit to return to Central Plexus for debrief. This unit complies. Aerial transport dispatched to expedite return. Stand by.
Chapter 24 Next left, up ahead, then straight, and keep moving. You tripped some kind of silent alarm. Units are converging on the position of that mech you blasted. Rosie's voice was a constant presence in Dakota's ear, but she didn't need her mother to tell her that more enemies were coming. She could see their sensor blooms in her visor, hear the hum of their motors echoing along the corridors. She and Runyon moved quickly, weapons drawn, checking every corner before making the next directed turn as they headed deeper into the mech sanctum. You're close now, said Rosie. Fifty meters, dead ahead. They were moving down another triangular hallway, indistinguishable from all the rest. Without Rosie to guide them, they would have surely become hopelessly lost by now within this featureless labyrinth, designed to be navigated only by autonomous machines. But as they made their way further along, Dakota noticed that this hallway was actually slightly different. The walls here weren't smooth, as all the others had been, but inlaid with exposed machine workings, a mechanical frieze that ran the length of the hall from floor to ceiling on both sides. It was too dark to make out much detail, and the diffused haze of her visor's night vision was little help. But she knew by the holographic navigational arrow in her visor that they were closing in on the data access point. So maybe this entire corridor was some kind of mechanical service area. Still, something about that inlaid machinery in the walls struck her as not normal not right. She'd come to trust her fight-or-flight instinct over the years, and right now, it was telling her loudly to fly. But that wasn't an option until they'd completed the job they'd come here to do. Five more meters on your right, said Rosie, as the arrow pointed them to a panel on the wall just ahead. Dakota and Runyon took up positions on either side of it. I see the access panel, said Dakota. Open it, Rosie instructed and Dakota did so. The panel door was unsecured and swung open easily to reveal a triangular data port. Now insert the transceiver into the port, said Rosie. Dakota retrieved the device from her belt, a facsimile of mech technology about the size of a pack of Runyon's chewing gum that Rosie had designed and fabricated, just for this purpose. Dakota slid it into the port, and it snapped into place with a satisfying click. Okay said Rosie. As soon as I start pulling this data, they'll know exactly where you are, and they'll be coming. I estimate sixty seconds, but you should have the data we need and be moving in less than thirty. Ready? Dakota and Runyon shared a nod. Ready, they said in unison. Starting the hack now, said Rosie. For a few moments, nothing seemed to happen except for the intermittent flickering of a pin-sized indicator light on the transceiver. Oh yeah, that got their attention all right, said Rosie. They're sending units. Twenty seconds and you're on the move. When that light on the transceiver stops flashing, grab it and haul ass. I'll guide you back out. Dakota watched intently as the light flickered green with the receipt of incoming data. She was so focused on it that she didn't hear Runyon the first time he said her name. Dak! he said again, louder. It wasn't the volume of his voice that caught her attention, but its tone. Dread. Fear. What? she asked, looking up at him. But he wasn't looking back at her. He was watching the slanted machine wall opposite them. The walls are moving. She saw now that he was right. 
the mechanical components set into the walls on either side had come alive, and a panoply of red lights were flickering to life along the corridor in both directions. And now Dakota realized why she had felt something about this place was wrong. The machinery in the walls. It wasn't part of the walls. Nor was it simple machinery. These were mech. Countless mech units were lined up and down the hallway, floor to ceiling, nestled in recharge alcoves, and, until now, dormant. Now they were waking up in response to the security breach. All of them. Mom, we have a real problem here, Dakota whispered into her mic. The walls appeared to slither and writhe as the mech emerged from their slumber and began to take on individual form. None had detached from their alcove yet, perhaps still in some kind of startup cycle. But they were recognizable as distinct units now, and these were not harmless janitors or stewards, but combat models, bristling with lethal weaponry. Dakota's visor was suddenly awash with sensor blooms as more and more mech energized all around them, her field of vision a sea of threatening red. I see it, said Rosie. Almost there. Ten seconds. We don't have ten seconds, shouted Runyon. The first mech battle drone stepped out from the wall a few meters to their right and stared them down with its single red eye. Before it could fire its weapon, Dakota raised her sidearm and pumped her finger on the trigger, shattering its cranial dome and sending it careening into the opposite wall, a smoking, sparking heap of trash. The light on the transceiver turned solid green. Download complete, Rosie shouted. Grab the transceiver and move your asses! A new holographic arrow lit up in their visor display, pointing the way back outside. Dakota yanked the transceiver from its port and jammed it into a pocket as she and Runyon sprinted down the hallway as more mech units emerged from the walls on either side of them. One detached from its alcove directly ahead, but it was facing the wrong way, and before it could turn, Runyon had shot it to pieces. As they leapt over its wreckage, Two energy bolts scorched past them from behind, barely missing them both. Without breaking stride, Dakota reached back with her pistol and fired blind, a volley of shots that scored at least one lucky hit, based on the screeching and sparking sounds that erupted behind them, and then they were around the corner and out of the line of fire, at least for now. On they ran. All they could do was keep following Rosie's directions and hope to stay alive against all reasonable odds. The good news was that once they reached the structure's exit, it was a relatively short run to the perimeter wall, but that still left them with a hell of a hike all the way back to Rosie, and they would surely be pursued by a small army of mech every inch of the way. They kept firing as they ran, blasting the mech units that emerged from the shadows to challenge them. More and more mech went down, but it seemed as though for each one they took out, another one appeared to take its place. And then one of the drones struck Dakota in the shoulder with a bolt of searing energy sending her crumpling to the floor. Runyon dropped to the ground beside her and returned fire, reducing the drone to scrap. Are you okay? he asked. I can't feel my arm, Dakota said. As Rosie had promised, the mech energy bolt hadn't penetrated her suit, but it had left her arm spasming, her fingers twitching, and worse, it was her left arm, her shooting hand. Keep moving, said Rosie. Go, go! Dakota's sidearm lay on the floor where she fell. Runyon grabbed it and pressed it into her right hand as he hauled her back to her feet and got them moving again. Another drone rounded the corner ahead of them, 
but Runyon took it down with a single shot to its head. He tried to throw Dakota's useless arm over his shoulder to help carry her along, but she shrieked in pain and jerked away from him, the arm hanging uselessly by her side. I'm good, she said. Just run! Runyon continued to follow Rosie's directional arrow as Dakota kept pace behind. They turned two more corners, and there they saw the exit directly ahead. They would make it that far, at least. And if they were to die, then at least they'd die outside, with the moon and stars above, not inside some mech tomb. They raced through the exit and outside, into the moonlit night. The cold air on their faces might have felt like a kind of freedom, were it not for the entire legion of mech combat units they found waiting for them there as they emerged, arrayed across the plaza between them and the perimeter wall. It was more mech than Dakota had ever seen in one place. More even than she could count. But just from a glance, there had to be well over a hundred of them, each one glaring at her and Runyon with its single glowing eye. Dakota heard movement behind her and turned to see still more mech emerging from the pyramid structure they had just escaped from, taking up positions around them. They were surrounded. A synthesized mech voice came from somewhere ahead of them, echoing across the open plaza. It could have come from any one of the machines. But it was a sound Dakota knew well. That same horrific, guttural, electronic mockery of human speech that the mech had all used when communicating with township prisoners. When the township drones spoke, it was usually an order to keep moving, or get back in line. But this time, it was only a single word, a single instruction. Surrender. On a remote island in Frigid Lake Superior, a fabricated creature birthed from the mind of a disturbed genius stalks the very people who created it. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler is a classic tale of science gone horribly wrong. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Chapter 25 We're screwed, said Dakota. Mom, they've got us surrounded. Rosie's voice came back over the comm. I see it, she said. Her sensors, no doubt, told her the story. She could see for herself how hopeless the situation was. Dakota welled up. She had been in tight situations before, and had escaped them all, sometimes miraculously, but never anything like this, never anything even close. She looked up at the moon and the stars and told herself that she could be proud to have made it this far that she had gone down fighting. The mech pseudo-voice came again. Surrender. Why don't they just kill us? Runyon asked. His voice was a dull monotone. Dakota glanced at him by her side. His eyes glazed over, and he stood frozen like a statue. Fear had reduced him to a shell of himself. We're more useful alive, she said. They want to question us, find out how we escaped, how we got in here, who might have helped. Question us, said Runyon, still gazing blankly ahead. You mean torture us? Probably, she said, grim. A mech tripod took a lumbering step forward. Surrender now or be taken by force. The voice belonged to this one, the unit in command. It came no closer than that single step, keeping its distance. The mech were being unusually cautious perhaps fearing that Dak or Runyon might turn their weapons on themselves if they got too close. 
and maybe that's exactly what we should do, thought Dakota. This isn't over yet, said Rosie. Let me see if I can get the mech's attention. I need you to activate sentry mode. Sentry mode, as Dakota and Runyon had learned during training, was an automated system, a last line of defense in case the Liberator's manual controls were damaged and rendered inoperable. In sentry mode, the gundog couldn't move autonomously, but it could shoot, turning it into a stationary weapons tower capable of fighting to the very end. Like the rest of the Liberator systems, to protect against electronic attack, it required manual authorization from both pilot and gunner. If I can draw their fire, maybe it'll create a diversion for you to get out of there, Rosie continued. Draw their fire, Dakota repeated. You mean make them come after you? Mom, they'll destroy you. If you don't get out of there, we're all as good as dead anyway. Pilot authorize, said Runyon, without hesitation. Dakota wasn't so sure. If Rosie alerted the mech to her presence, it might be the last thing she ever did. But what other option did they have? Gunner authorize, she said, swallowing a lump in her throat. For a moment, nothing. The mech command tripod took another step forward and Dakota braced herself as the other drones closed in around her and Runyon. What happened next happened very quickly. A mortar shell fell from the sky and exploded in the center of the plaza, right in the heaviest concentration of mech units. Dakota and Runyon were both thrown off their feet by the concussive force of the blast, and a wave of sweltering heat washed over them. Her ears ringing, her vision a blur. Dakota saw fire raging in the plaza and was aware of pieces of flaming wreckage raining down around her, the twisted remnants of mech blown to pieces. She looked around for Runyon and saw him lying face down on the ground, motionless. She hauled herself up, ran to him and rolled him over, fearing the worst. But he was alive, just dazed, and wounded. A piece of shrapnel jutted from his shoulder. She helped him to his feet, threw his arm over her shoulder and moved instinctively toward the perimeter wall. Another mortar shell landed nearby and shook the ground, tearing another mech formation to pieces and sending the others scattering. All around them was chaos. Did I get their attention? asked Rosie in Dakota's ear. Dakota looked around her at the landscape of fire and destruction. For the moment, at least, the mech were in disarray. They had either forgotten about her and Runyon, or had lost track of them in all the confusion. You could say that, she replied. We're headed to the exit. Make it fast, said Rosie. They know where I am. I won't be able to hold them for long. Dakota heard the high-pitched whine of mech aerial units and looked up to see a phalanx of them roaring overhead and disappearing over the wall, moving toward where Rosie and the Liberator stood, motionless, paralyzed, unable to escape or evade. Dakota picked up her pace as much as Runyon's unsteady weight on her shoulders would allow, but as they moved, a single drone on the periphery of the chaos created by Rosie spotted them and moved to intercept, cutting them off. Dakota had no sidearm. She'd lost it somewhere back there. And even if she still had it, she only had one good arm and was using it to hold on to Runyon. She was defenseless. The drone targeted her and charged its weapon. And then it exploded, blasted to pieces by a volley of energy bolts. Keep moving, muttered Runyon as he lowered his sidearm. He was only semi-conscious, but alert enough to have saved them both, again. Dakota tightened her hold on him 
and helped carry him to the perimeter, to the spot where they'd scaled the wall on their way in. Runyon, she said. The detonator. Runyon reached into her pocket and retrieved the device. As his thumb pressed down on its single red button, Dakota looked at the wall before them and thought about the chewing gum on the other side, hoping it had held. With a dull percussive boom, the wall shook, engulfed in a fiery explosion. And as the smoke cleared, it revealed a jagged opening about a meter wide in the wall's smooth obsidian surface. Dakota didn't hesitate. She hustled Runyon through the breach, coughing and half-blind in the smoke, trying not to stumble on the rubble underfoot. They were once again outside of the mech city, but still far from safety. Rosie was almost half a click away, and a vast suburban graveyard separated them from her. All they could do was keep going. Dakota felt herself carrying less of Runyon's weight as his own legs began to find their strength. But still, they were moving far too slowly. More mech drones sped overhead, racing toward where the Liberator stood in the distance like a giant statue. It wasn't exactly difficult to find. Rosie was lighting up the night sky with a blaze of energy beams and cannon fire, apparently engaging every one of the gundog's weapon systems simultaneously. And in those flashes of light, Dakota could see mech drones swarming all around it, attacking. Its armor shielding, and defensive systems were being sorely tested now and Dakota wondered just how much of a beating it could take. Her own pain and injury were forgotten as she was spurred on ever faster by one thought that drowned out all others. My mother is in there. Runyon's shoulder wound was still bleeding badly, but he seemed to have regained his presence of mind and was now moving without Dakota's help. Together they ducked and dashed their way through the forecourt of the place that had once sold cars, keeping low as Mech buzzed past them either blind to them or choosing to ignore them in the face of this newer, far greater threat, the likes of which hadn't been seen in 20 years. The mech were sending everything they had at the Liberator. Dakota and Runyon took up position on the near side of the hill, beyond which Rosie was fighting her lonely battle against the combined mech forces. Wrecked, flaming drones fell from the sky as the Liberator blasted away at them and Dakota and Runyon had to shield themselves when one crashed to the ground nearby. We have to get into that cockpit, said Runyon. She's a sitting duck like this. Dakota nodded. Follow me. And she was up and running, Runyon close behind. Mom, we're close. Be ready to pop the hatch. Good to hear, said Rosie. Make it fast, I'll cover you. They arrived at the Liberator's left foot which was shaking from the impacts of the mech assault. A cacophony of fire and chaos. If Rosie had been firing everything she had before, she somehow found an extra gear now in a desperate effort to distract from and protect Dakota and Runyon as they began climbing the gundog's rungs. The ascent went slowly for both of them, each without the use of an arm. And twice they nearly fell, as the mech's attacks rocked the Liberator. In the dark of night, it was impossible to see how much damage the gundog had taken. But on her way up the ladder, Dakota passed deep scorch marks and swaths of melted metal, grotesque scars in its armor plating. Finally, they made it to within reach of the cockpit. An energy beam deflected off the Liberator's armor just a few feet from Runyon, and they both felt the heat of it. The near miss spurred them onward, and Rosie opened the hatch just wide enough to allow them both to scramble inside. Good to have you back, 
said Rosie, as they clambered into their seats and strapped themselves in. They weren't out of the woods yet, but just being back in her mother's embrace gave Dakota a momentary feeling of relief, of hope. Good to be back, she said. Runyon, said Rosie, would you kindly get us the fuck out of here? Restored to his cockpit chair, Runyon seemed to immediately fall back into his old, or more accurately, new, assertive self. His flesh was weak, but the Liberator's control apparatus gave him strength and power. He turned the great war machine away from the mech city and started off. Slowly at first, for though the gundog had an impressive top speed, it took time to work up from a walk to a canter, and finally a full gallop. All the while, mech drones were buzzing around it like flies, constantly firing as it took each lumbering step. Weather's pretty bad out there, Dak, Runyon grunted. Let me see if I can clear it up some, she replied, as she took back manual control of the Liberator's weapons. Her threat display was lit up with dozens of mech, too many for her targeting computer to track, so she did her best to let rip with every weapon she had at her disposal. The Liberator's guns tore into the swarming cloud of mech, swatting them out of the sky like flies, but it barely seemed to make a dent in their attack. Even with this much firepower at their disposal, Dakota and Runyon's only hope against an opposing force of this size was to retreat and hope to somehow escape. But even moving now at top speed, they couldn't outrun the mech's fast-moving aerial units that continued to pursue them relentlessly. The Liberator raced southward across the plain, rocked by incoming fire that jolted Dakota and Runyon violently in their seats. One blast hit them so hard that the gundog momentarily veered off course and off balance before quickly correcting. Dakota glanced back at Runyon. He looked terrible, his face pale and clammy, on the verge of passing out from the blood he'd lost. Yet somehow he was clinging to the right side of consciousness driving through the pain and delirium. Every time Dakota thought she had the measure of his strength, she realized, he showed her that he had a little more. The Missouri River's a few clicks dead ahead, said Rosie, through a torrent of static. If we can make it there, we might have a chance. Dakota was about to ask what was so special about the river. Then she remembered. Mech don't go underwater. No one had ever figured out why that was, just that it was the one place the mech wouldn't or couldn't go. Once, on the run with Sam, the two of them had shaken off a drone by diving into a deep lake and holding their breath long enough to swim down and find a small cavern with an air pocket. They waited there, in the cold water, for hours. When they finally came up, the mech had gone. Maybe that trick could work again. Can this thing even operate underwater? Dakota asked. Never been tried. Guess we'll find out, said Rosie. Anything's better than this shit, I'll tell you that. The Liberator kept sprinting across the plain, the mech swarm in pursuit, firing on it relentlessly. Dakota kept on shooting back until her chain guns ran empty, then switched to the beam cannon and anything else that was still operating. But by this point, that wasn't much. Her cockpit dash was flashing with alarm lights, indicating that weapon systems were either damaged or offline, and a constant din of wailing sirens warned her of the same thing. Dakota saw the river directly ahead on her nav display. 
the last thing it showed her before it too lost power and went dead. Runyon saw it too, and pushed on, making for the river with everything he had. But by now, the heavy damage to the Liberator had slowed it considerably. It was no longer running, but merely trudging doggedly up a shallow incline. Dakota continued to fire wildly at the mech, harrying them from every direction. But there was still more of them than she could even count, let alone target. Another gun ran dry, then another. Not much ammo left, she cried. How close? Close, said Rosie, her voice now badly garbled and breaking up, barely recognizable through a haze of electronic distortion. Even her own systems were failing, Dakota realized to her dismay. The Liberator finally crested the hill it had been climbing, and Dakota found herself looking out over a precipitous drop on the far side the fast-flowing river 50 meters below. The Liberator came to a complete stop. It was now a stationary target again. Easy pickings for the mech. Runyon, Dakota said. Why'd you stop? Keep going. She didn't much like the idea of falling into the river, but she liked the idea of sitting here and being taken apart by the mech even less. But Runyon didn't reply. And when Dakota looked behind her, she saw him slumped forward in his chair, unconscious. He'd lost so much blood, it was a miracle he'd lasted as long as he had. She released her safety harness and clambered up and over her chair toward Runyon's. More fire and explosions lit up the night sky outside, and the Liberator was rocked violently again as the mech barrage continued. A shower of sparks cascaded from an overhead panel as it caught fire, and more sirens blared. It seemed as though the next mech hit might be the one that finally undid them. Dakota tried frantically to shake some life into Runyon, but he would not rouse. So she squeezed herself beside him in his seat and slammed her feet down on both pedals to send the gundog lumbering forward. Then it was all she could do to hold on, white-knuckled, as the Liberator toppled over the precipice and plummeted toward the dark waters below. Gundog was created and written by Gary Witta and performed by Shannon Woodward. Special appearance by Troy Baker. Music by Austin Wintery. Edited by David Gatewood. Sound editing by Adam Nickerson. Video editing by Chandana Ekanayaka. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.